Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 175, recorded July 27th, 2014. Milestone episode here. Episode 175. Which is also the 100th? 100 episodes of the 90s. There you go. Excellent. Which, if you think about it, that means that we only did 75 episodes of everything else so far. (laughs) (laughs) We've been kind of focused in the 90s. It was the heyday of comic books. Well, for Star Trek, right? And it was, yeah. So not only in volume, but you know, it, they're not all gold, but they had some pretty good issues during the nineties. Pretty uh, good yeah. stories. Yeah. So they take it a little more seriously than maybe those gold key ones did. Uh, what do you mean? Back in the seventies? Yes. Well, that's fine. As far as like comic books, Star Trek comic books, I I don't think gold key took it that seriously because they took a lot of liberties with it with oh, yeah. basically everything yeah and then the first series of marvel really aimed towards young young kids and i did not care for any of those right and then it wasn't until dc took it over that i don't know if the whole comic book industry in general started taking the medium a little more seriously but that's when you kind of started seeing really good stories right just told in a comic book format yeah recognizing that there are adults, fans too, not just kids. So let's write to them. Like us. Exactly. Exactly. And that we'd still be reading them 30-something years later. Exactly. And now, look how we have it. We have uh, worldwide events like Comic-Con in San Diego, which is going on right now as we are recording. And um, it's just amazing. It really is amazing. I hadn't thought to talk about this, but this really is kind of amazing. Clearly, the most money-making movies these days are mostly from comic books, the stories. Right. Yes, we're living in the golden era. Yes, I guess. <laughs> well, as a kid, I mean, just look at it. As a kid, or when I was a kid, Batman came out in those kind of movies. And any type of comic book movie, even remotely comic book movie, you went and saw and no matter how bad it was, you watched it. You know, Flash oh, Gordon, Buck Rogers, any of those kind of comic booky, pulpy type movies. Right. And, but they weren't they weren't the norm. And no. uh in and, and if you when you got a little older, people were like, Hey, why are you watching that still? Exactly. And now if you don't watch that, you're kinda looked at like, oh, why didn't you watch Dark Knight Rises? That movie was great. <laughs> Even though it that one technically wasn't, but <laughs> you get my point. Yeah, I get your point. It's a lot more accepted. I mean, especially for adults. Adults reading comic books, watching comic book movies, meh. But now it's like, it's very much accepted in the norm. Right. Anyway. I wasn't expecting a lot of Star Trek news, you know, since Star Trek 3 is still pretty good ways away uh, at Comic-Con. But we did get a little bit yesterday. There will be a Planet of the Apes Star Trek comic book crossover which is going to be pretty exciting which is unexpected and weird but the cover looks 
pretty cool. Yeah, so uh, I, I don't know if that's just the teaser cover or that truly will be the cover of issue right. number one, but a, a, an ape holding up Kirk's tattered shirt. Yes, and he's got a bit of a smirk on his face, like, yeah, got you. <laughs> um, which is interesting. So it'll be interesting to see how they're able to bring the two alternate futures of Earth into the same reality right. so they can interact because those are two different ways the Earth goes, you know, Federation or well, hello to your new masters, the apes. So uh, they don't... Cr- I, it should be interesting to see how they are able to either lamely or smartly explain that. Yeah, here's all they have to do. What? Here's, here's the pivot point that would split those two universes. Okay. Universe number one. Eugenics war, blah, 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 Khan tried to take over, mm-hmm. and people were able to live past that and World War Three, And then the other one, World War Three, eugenics war, the devastation was much worse, and then therefore all the humans de-evolved and the apes evolved. Boom. I just wrote it for you. <laughs> I think de-evolving and evolving would take a while. but yeah, uh, well, you don't know how much time passed after uh, the... Uh, Nuclear wars, they talk so, about. So you don't expect any kind of genetic manipulation help, like in the fresh reboot uh, Planet of the Apes movies? I don't, only because the the one tidbit they gave at Comic-Con, what this is going to be about, is that it will be Shatner's Kirk and uh, Heston's Taylor. So it will be set in the original Planet of the movie. Apes timeline, not the new one. Novel, movie, right. Right. Well, not the novel, because the novel, they truly were on a different planet. They weren't on Earth. Oh, good point. Good point. Okay. Well, it's going to be interesting any way you look at it. Right. Yeah. So, it's kind of funny that we already did a Planet of the Apes, April Fool's joke episode, so... Yeah, with alienation. Little did I know that we would be revisiting Planet of the Apes again on this podcast. And I must say, that alienation Planet of the Apes crossover is like, what? That's wacky! But it pretty much worked. So I, I enjoyed them. I have high hopes for this. And it's written by the same people who did the Doctor Who Star Trek crossover. So, oh. you know, that one had a little bit of fuzziness going on as far as who would remember what when it was all over and how they merged. But oh, yeah. I enjoyed the story. Yeah. The original thing that triggered the interdimensional crossover always, I thought, was a bit weird and forced. But whatever. Bring them together. Come up with some excuse, and then let's see what happens. Exactly. It's going to be great. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, you want to just get started into today? We got got some Voyager to take care of. Exactly. Three issues. And maybe Uh, they'll make it home today. Maybe. Or maybe they'll be destroyed by the Borg. Look (sighs) at that cover. The Borg are back. And then what's this Leviathan thing? Yeah, that was... I'll save my comments for that one later. (laughs) Especially the unexpected twist at the end. What a twist. Unexpected and unnecessary, but whatever. Nope, I said it. Yeah, spoiler. Well, I didn't say what it was, though. Oh, uh, yeah, not not the whole issue for sure. No. Okay. All right. So, issue number 10? Shall I go ahead and get started? Please. All right. So, issue 10 came out October of 1997. And it is entitled, Ghosts. The cover has a caption, and it reads, Shadows of the Past. 
The picture shows Voyager in close proximity to a huge Borg cube. Credits are, writer is Lori S. Sutton, penciler is Jesus Redondo, inker is Sergio Molina, colorist Guinness Oliver, letterer Chris Alopoulos, scorekeeper Chip Carter, editor Tim Tui, editor-in-chief Bob Harris. The story starts off with Janeway calling for red alert, and then everyone watches in horror as the events of Wolf 359 play out in front of the ship. We see about 20 various ships of Klingon and Federation design being attacked and destroyed by a Borg cube. Below this battle is a swirl of some sort of wormhole, a yellowish glowing thing. The crew agree that this cannot be the real battle for Wolf 359, since that happened in the Alpha Quadrant almost five years ago. This must be some sort of echo of those terrible events. Suddenly, in a flash of light, the battle is gone, and replaced by several linked escape pods. Kim is registering some life signs aboard the pods, and the designs prove that they are indeed escape pods from various Federation ships. Could this somehow be survivors from Wolf 359? Janeway orders them to be brought aboard and investigated, though the idea of this being some sort of trap is not far from everyone's mind. In a cargo bay, the pods are brought aboard, and a security man named Lieutenant Josh Rand is there with the doctor as the pods are opened. The first person to emerge is a blonde woman named Commander Athena Rand. The young Lieutenant Rand simply calls her Auntie Athena. Come to find out, Athena and Josh are Janice Rand's relatives, whom we all recall that Tuvok served with way back on the Excelsior. This family reunion is cut short as the other survivors of Wolf 359 are escorted to sickbay to get checked out. Meanwhile, news of survivors of Wolf 359 spread through the ship. Suddenly, everyone is racing to sickbay to see if they can find the person that they lost. Belana finds her friend, Lieutenant Marshall Sinclair, and after all these years, he's doing just fine. Meanwhile, another crew member does not find his lost love, but he vows to continue to search for her. Later, the doctor releases the survivors, and it seems that to them, they were in the pods for only about a month, even though five years had passed for the rest of the galaxy. The Doctor states that they are somehow linked to the Rift. He can do what he can to try to remove the infused chronotons, but he is needing Balana to create some sort of gizmo in order to do it. He also states that the link with the Rift will somehow pull them back into the Rift if it should ever open again, regardless to where they are in the galaxy. Time passes... The newly freed crew are retelling their adventures that got them to the Delta Quadrant, while the Voyager crew is doing the same. Chakotay and Janeway are hopeful that these people will soon become the newest additions to their crew. Suddenly, the rescued crew from around the ship start to writhe in pain. It seems that the rift is about to open. Commander Rand and Janeway head to engineering to check on Bolana's progress. Rand offers to test it on herself just as the Battle of Wolf 359 starts to appear before the ship. Rand is attached to the device, and it's turned on. As energy arcs across her body, her link to the rift is not cut. 
Meanwhile on the bridge, Chakotay orders evasive maneuvers and even tells Paris to leave the battle. He takes off at warp speed. Surprisingly, the events of the battle seem to move in concert with the ship's movement due to the link with the survivors on board. Rand, seeing no other way, orders all survivors back to the escape pod and they launch themselves back out so that Voyager can escape the rift. It works, and Voyager watches as a shuttle from Voyager leaves and joins the escape pods. On board is Lieutenant Rand. He is going to join his aunt along with Bolana's device in hopes that the survivors aboard the escape pods can find a way to perfect it. With that, the blinding flash appears again and the escape pod and shuttle are gone. Voyager starts to head back home, wishing they could have done more for those survivors, when suddenly another craft appears and fires on them. Next issue, Leviathan. Leviathan? What could that be? Well... Leviathan was Sounds a really big monster in the Bible. Yes. Whatever it is, it's really big. Yeah, so uh, that last panel where it actually shows the ship firing on Voyager. Mm-hmm. Doesn't it look big? Does well, yeah, that, but it's... Is it's, that it's, Leviathan? Well, it's a close-up. I mean, you're like right next to the firing ship. So you would think that that's probably Leviathan. But I guess we'll find out in the next issue. We will. And okay. by the way, note the colors, like kind of like a, a silvery white kind of color with green accents. Right. Just notice that. I am noticing it. Okay. <laughs> so what did you think of this issue? I, I thought it was uh, good, but kind of quick. They should, I think it should have been a two-parter. <sighs> I, I think a two-parter, th- that could have been better, depending upon what they came up with. I, I, I think it would have been a little bit trying if it was two, but I do agree with you, it went too fast. But is there quite enough for two? I'm not sure. Personally, I think thematically, this reminded me a lot of Next Gen's Yesterday's Enterprise. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the Voyager crew meets another Starfleet crew, and they're helping them over a fierce battle, and then you find out by the end this poor crew has to go back into the jaws of their situation and just to, you know, to save everybody. So thematically, it, it's, it's about the same. But I got to say, some, some rift or something that shows the, the echo of the Battle of Wolf 359 that's going to magically pull back these uh, escape pods all the time, it's like, come on. I, 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 I just wasn't, I wasn't down with what they were saying. But I mean, this is a, this is a time where you got to pull the old suspended disbelief lever. Okay, I'm pulling it (laughs) to go along with the story and try to, you know, enjoy it. And I did enjoy it. It's just, it was just a lot to swallow. Right. It's just that I think they had a couple of of emotional beats that they could have played out but didn't. I mean, they kind of like set it up and then just nothing like this Lieutenant Marshall guy. I mean, I expected that to be something. You know, Bolana's so happy to see this guy and then we never see him again. True. Good point. Yeah, yeah. And, well, that's the stuff of maybe what two issues could have done for you. Right. And then the, the other guy, you know, he's wanting to find his, I guess, wife or girlfriend or something. And then, you know, she's not there. She's not one of the survivors. And then he's like, oh, I will never stop looking for you. Yeah. And we never see this guy again. So, obviously, if he is still looking for her, he's doing it off panel somewhere. <laughs> right. But, again, that could have played off to something. Right. 
No. And it also could have been too much. I mean, too much of that kind of thing. Too many reunions. Too many, like, blah, 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 blah. Well, I think but, there was. I if you're not going to do anything with it, I think there was too many of them. Yeah. I mean, we already had Rand and his aunt, and that tying in with Janice Rand. Right. All a little un- unneeded, but, yeah. okay, it's kind of cool, because we had Rand a couple issues ago, and we talked about, oh, is he related to Janice? Well, now we know he is. Yeah. And, uh... But and we know in the expanded universe, Rand was very involved with Captain Sulu's Excelsior? Well, yeah, she's in Star Trek Six, and she's also in that flashback well, episode on... Um... Yes, I, I'll agree with that. But apparently, Rand went on to have a pretty important career. Right. You know, post-Haas. And we saw a little bit of it, as you just mentioned. But it's kind of interesting and cool to hear not only her, but her progeny. How they've all been uh, very involved people in Starfleet. Right. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, no, it's great. And, it, and, it, and they do a good job of not telling us how they're related. Right. Because they still have the Rand name, so if she did get married, did she keep the Rand name and passed on the Rand name to her kids instead of... Yeah. yeah her, I wonder exactly how that did work. Yeah. Or are these her nieces and nephew? Yeah. Because obviously she wasn't married when she was on the Enterprise, right? Uh, no. They never mentioned it. Well, that yeah, was insinuated that, that, that really romance Kirk with Kirk. A, a creepy guy. <laughs> hey, married woman, come over here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that last name continuing on. Good question. Right. And I can kind of get, you know, women don't have to change their name when they get married. But usually if they have kids, it usually give them a hyphenated name or they take the, the father's name. Now, that might change by the 24th century, but... And who knows? Maybe that's just maybe she married an alien. Although they uh, they look like humans, the kids, right? This commander Rand does, but who knows? Maybe it's some kind of aliens that she married, and uh, they don't do it that way with names. <laughs> well, we know she married an alien at once upon a time. That little right. triangle alien. <laughs> what was it? He was just a little brain inside of a triangle, or something. Something like that. Which. <laughs> You know, you had to wonder how that relationship was going to go forward, but whatever. What issue, what was that that we read that in? I don't know. It was a while ago, though. Was it a Marvel one? Was it the, uh, during the movie era, or? I don't know, man. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't remember it being that good. Oh, it was bad. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not going to allocate a lot of uh, memory cells to it, but. Oh, that's funny. Anyways, it's always nice to have a little Janice Rand connection even though it was didn't really add anything to the story right except now that you mentioned the yesterday's enterprise it gave one person a strong tie with the survivors enough that he would sacrifice himself to go with them kind of like yar did well yeah okay and 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 that's a good point too but i gotta ask about that whole thing it's like why didn't they just give commander rand the device, I no, mean, th- that, that Bellana was working on. I mean, they actually said it. Well, as you know, as they're getting on board, well, I guess I can keep working on Bellana's idea and maybe someday be able to get, you know, break away. And it's like, well, yeah, and, and they gave her the, the, the prototype thing. I mean, what else, what, what was Bellana going to do with it? Right. Uh, but, oh, they didn't? Yeah. Uh, and Josh has to sacrifice himself uh, to, to give them that chance? It's like... That makes no I mean ah oh, makes no sense. 
Anyway. Right. Yeah, it would have been better if maybe when they were getting into the ship, you know, someone said, oh, I, I forgot the device. And then he runs off to do it. But, yeah, no, it made no sense. I was really confused when he said that that was the reason why he was out there. Right. And what was also confusing is they kept saying it was a Voyager sh- escape pod. Yeah, and exactly. Visually, it was a little shuttlecraft. It's a shuttlecraft. I completely agree with that. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't like that part either. I mean, it, and what's the reason for that? I mean, what, why would you call it an escape pod? The idea that he'd take a shuttle out to get to the point that he could enter that memory rift in time, whatever, makes perfect sense. Why call it a pod? I don't know. Right. No, I, I, that that was where I thought, well, maybe the writers and the artists were yeah, a little miscommunicated. Off. But the thing is, is that the artists knew what a Federation shuttle uh, escape pod looked like. Yeah, so he, he had to draw it. So and he knew how to draw a shuttle. So I really yeah. think whoever did the word balloons mixed it up or something. Yeah, I don't and know. the letterer maybe. And the next issue, I'm pretty sure that when they do the recap again, they show the shuttlecraft again. So, whatever. Yeah, so I think next issue, when we do the recap, it, oh, it's so unneeded. And they do it like twice. Yeah. For the, we'll, well that, talk about that next issue. That's why I completely ignore those when we yeah. do, the, do the synopsis. Uh, and I think ridiculous. they almost banking on you to completely ignore it because they're going to recap it in the actual story anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway. All right. Um, what do you think of the artwork overall? It, it's a little different than what we normally get. I'm fine with it. I think it looks fine. Looks good. Yeah, I like it. Some of the action shots where their hands are really outstretched towards the reader. Right. Uh, it becomes a little awkward, I think. But but overall, I like it. So yeah. It's different. Yeah, and again, people have really... Extremely gelled hair. Uh, some characters. It's the it, 90s, man. Because it's really out there. It's really up. I mean, some of the characters. Not everybody, of course, but... Right. Anyway. I, I thought it was a little odd that everybody that came out of the escape pod seemed to have, like, neon hair or white hair or something like that. Green hair. Uh, well, look at that first panel. Commander Rand doesn't. Out. But... Well, Commander Rand doesn't. The Vulcan woman doesn't. The Klingon doesn't, but then everybody else seems to have, like, neon hair almost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and although some of their hair is a, is appropriately disheveled, not all of it. Right, well. But, whatever. Some of them have to still maintain appearances. Exactly, they are Starfleet officers, of course. Now, now correct, remind me, Wolf 359, was it a joint... Klingon and Federation attack force? I don't remember the Klingons being there, quite frankly. I don't either, but they really prominent they show in this, in this uh, battle. They do show it. And one of the survivors is actually a, a Klingon officer. Yeah. So, I don't know, man. I don't know. I think I think it's a mistake, but... Well, whatever. if it is a mistake, they, it's a big one. Yeah. Alright, and then my last comment is I really thought long and hard about how why this echo would would go from the alpha quadrant to the delta quadrant (laughs) and i know that the borg go back and forth so i was thinking well maybe if when the borg ship was destroyed it somehow created an echo from where it came from but then i was like well that borg ship never was destroyed 
it made it all the way to Earth, so that didn't yeah. make sense. It was destroyed later. Right, but it wasn't not, destroyed. Not during the battle. Yeah. Exactly, not during that battle. Well, okay, so the difference between you and me is you try to find logic in illogic, which is fine. <laughs> I just moved on. You just kept going. Well, well, come on. Oh, okay. What? What is this? The, the doctor. The doctor gets the uh, techno babble award of the of this particular series so far. I think Mike, micro anatomical level patient tissue infusion. Oh my god! So there. So not only do you have to explain how this rift would even be there, but then you have to explain how the survivors would be somehow tied to it. At the cellular level, the micro-anatomical level. And then not only that, this magical echo that continues to survive five years after the fact pulls them back in and will actually follow you? At warp. At warp? Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, man, it's laying it on thick. Um, Yeah, I cannot even hope to explain all that. Yeah, uh, but I, bravo I was for not you. Successful. I bravo tried. to you for trying. I tried, couldn't get it to do it. <sighs> so, how do you like the writing style? All the colorful metaphors and and stuff that's going on, like, and then, like a living and ravenous beast, the temporal maelstrom is upon them. <laughs> the threats of a tempest churning unseen just over the horizon. It breathes cold gusts of menace. I felt like I was reading Moby Dick at times. Maybe that's what they were going for. I, I, maybe they were. I don't know. But um, it was very colorful, uh, metaphorical writing. I was, just, I, I was just, you know, at first it was okay, but then they kept on doing all this over-the-top stuff. I don't know. It was okay. It just reminded me of a lot of classic Marvel stuff. Oh, really? Classic I mean, Marvel stuff did yeah, that? Yeah, okay. they did a lot of that analogy or metaphor type stuff. Right. Which at times just seemed like, uh, you know, you're reading about Peter Parker changing clothes and then they throw in all these weird metaphors and stuff and you're just like, he just changed clothes, come on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I don't remember that from my childhood readings, which is not unusual, but... Well, I pulled out some old Spider-Man to read uh, a couple of months ago, and and that was one of the things that really was like really sticking out at, out at me. I was just like, "Oh, come on!" He's, yeah, he just turned back into Peter Parker. It's not, it, it, you know, he wasn't doing something really interesting, right? <laughs> okay, but to well, tell you the truth, I didn't even notice it in this one. I guess I just kind of skimmed over that part. Yeah. Well, at first I was fine with it, and then and then again they do the same thing, and then they keep doing it. It's like after a while it was kind of like, wow, this is like over the top. But okay, that's the last thing I have to say about this issue. All right. Well, I'm I'm done too. If you want to move on. Cool. Okay, so now we're going to start hitting the Leviathan storyline. So we've got a two issue story arc, which begins in issue eleven, and oddly enough, the title is Leviathan Part One. November 1997's published date. The writer is Laurie S. Sutton. Penciler, Jesus Redondo. Inker, Sergio Malia. Colors, Glynis Oliver. Letterer, Chris Elipolis. And virtual calligraphy. Ringmaster, Chip Carter. Editor, Tim Tui. 
and Editor-in-Chief Bob Haras. The cover shows Voyager struggling to get away from a much larger vessel. She is close to the huge ship that has green energy rope ties around her nacelles. Text proclaims, forget the Borg, enter Leviathan. The story opens just after Commander Athena Rand and her surviving crew disappear into the rift and showed them a visual echo of the Battle of Wolf 359. The crew scarcely had time to take a breath when five ships of unknown configuration approached firing on Voyager. Ensign Kim is able to establish a comm channel with the lead ship. The female alien named Idana, who is leading the Elysian task force Varilla, tells Janeway they were answering a distress call from one of their Elysian ships when they detected the great space battle. When they saw the Borg cubes disappear, with only Voyager remaining, they assumed the ship was assimilated and opened fire. She and Janeway find out they have a common enemy in the Borg and become quick allies. Janeway asks if they may be allowed to assist in their mission to answer the distress call. Idana welcomes her company on the mission. As they approach the source of the distress signal, they pick up a massive ship of a very odd design and determine it is the source of the signal. It's more than 100 kilometers long and contains thousands of life signs. Janeway says it's like the Leviathan described in the Bible. Idana takes her ships in close, with intent to render aid, but her ships are ensnared by energy beams that drag them to the surface of the Leviathan. Janeway wisely kept Voyager back away from the ship until they could confirm what the huge ship's intent was. Janeway sees they are the only possible source of rescue for Idana and her trapped ships. They back away even further and attempt to drag Idana's command ship out using tractor beams. That proves useless and triggers the Leviathan's magneton beam to drag Voyager to it. Once it comes into contact with the huge ship's hull, it starts to extend its hull around Voyager until she is cocooned. Janeway conjectures the Leviathan has built its huge, oddly irregular shape by capturing and assimilating other ships into its hull in a random fashion. They are clearly trapped, so Janeway calls together an away team that she will lead into the heart of the beast to disable the magneton field. Tuvok informs Janeway that they cannot beam to the core of the ship due to it being surrounded by a dampening field that the transporters cannot penetrate. Janeway's team will beam as close as they can and will have to walk from there. When Janeway's away team materializes in the Leviathan, they find themselves in what appears to be a tropical paradise. Paris jokes, but Janeway is all business as she leads Kim, Bellana, and Tom towards the source of the dampening field. Just as Janeway warns them to stay on guard here in the heart of their enemy, they are attacked by what appears to be primitive Jem'Hadar. They are naked except for leather loincloths and boots. They are armed with spears and primitive swords only. They fight valiantly until Harry is able to reach Tom's phaser, which he uses on three of their attackers. The others run off as the three hit the ground unconscious. Bolana has a bad gouge of her left shoulder, and Tom's tunic was practically ripped off. 
Why didn't they bring a security detail? That's my comment. Janeway does a scan of the fallen Jem'Hadar and says their biology matches the Jem'Hadar they are familiar with, except that they have no genetic dependency on Ketracel White. Hours later, they come to a bulkhead that is apparently the end of the tropical habitat. There's no way through the bulkhead at this location, but Paris detects an area not far away that is made of other substances. They start walking towards it. They come to a hatchway that they push open into an ancient metal hallway that appears to be part of another ship. The ship design is familiar to Janeway, but she can't quite place it. Her tricorder estimates it's 2,000 years old. They come to another door and push it open into another habitat, a desert habitat. Janeway says the core is another kilometer due south. They head out. They are descended upon by what looks to be Arabian nobads, but they appear to hold long energy-based rifles. They ride odd tauntaun sort of brown creatures rather than camels. They are all riled up about something. The away team finds out what when a huge worm slug sort of thing comes out of the desert sand. The away team uses their phasers to disable the beastie. The nomads descend on the creature immediately and kill it. Apparently, they will be eating well tonight. The nomad leader gives Janeway a big hunk of meat, which he takes graciously. Harry says the tricorder identifies these people as being Viridian, but with no sign of the phage. They conjecture that the people they have encountered so far are the descendants of crews whose ships were captured by the Leviathan in the past. Over the years, they lost their original species identity and reverted to a more primitive state. Meanwhile, back at Voyager, they're using the ship's phasers to destroy tendrils that attempt to attach themselves to the ship. No matter how many they destroy, others take their place. Inside the Leviathan, Janeway's team sees in the distance four hovering devices approaching their position. When the hovering robots are over the away team's heads, they very handily speak out English. They say these specimens are in the wrong habitat. They say their habitat is under construction and that they must be removed from this habitat. It's too dangerous. The bots deploy tendrils that grab the away team members. They are carried upward through a hole in the ceiling. As they ascend, Janeway says she feels an invisible tugging at her body. She thinks they are passing through a dampening field. They are carried far through access tunnels and deposited in what looks like a control room with no living thing occupying it. Janeway asks if anyone is there. A disembodied voice replies, saying, Response to query initiated. It says hello to Janeway, who asks if it is the control computer for the ship. The voice says it is far more than that. It says it is as sentient as they are, and that it came to this galaxy to explore and collect specimens. It tells Janeway she can address it as Leviathan, to use the name that she refers to it as. Janeway asks why it has abducted so many biological life forms. Leviathan says it's beyond her punny comprehension, and that she must return to her ship until their habitat is ready. Janeway says they do not want to be placed into a habitat. They want to be released. Leviathan says release is impossible. 
Voyager and her crew is now a permanent part of my collection. <laughs> to be continued. I don't think he laughed like that. I don't think so, but He's I like robot. it. I know that, but come on. I think it had to happen. It's an evil genius robot with a cat, a white cat. Okay. <laughs> now he's Blofeld. <laughs> exactly. That's funny. Okay. Now, he, he just reminded me of uh, Brainiac. Are you familiar with Brainiac from... Superman? The, Superman comics, yeah. So the the whole deal with Brainiac is that he went from planet to planet, and he took one city from each planet, and, you know, depending on what era you're reading, either digitized it like V'ger did, or put it into a little bottle or whatever. And then his, his whole thing was that he wanted to collect one city from every sentient planet in the, in the universe. And, of course, he tries to grab Metropolis? Tries to grab Metropolis. He already grabbed Kandor from Krypton. So, I mean, he already has the city of Kandor. Wow. And then now he's going for Metropolis. Wow. Which, which really reminded me of, of, of what this guy was doing, this, this uh, Leviathan. Right. Cool. I I was aware of the character, but I did not have any idea about the backstory. Right. Yep, you should, because he's a great character. He's he's evil. He's a bad guy. Well, you know, I was never much of a Superman fan. Sorry. I know Gasp. you are. Gasp. I know. He's your ultimate. But I know. You were a Green Lantern Fantastic Four guy. And then, and then Spider-Man. Oh, I didn't know you really... Into Spider-Man. Oh yeah, I transitioned from Fantastic Four to Spider-Man at one point. I'd never looked back. <laughs> well, anyways, this guy reminded me of uh, of that version of Brainiac, just right. sc- scooping up little segments of population and keeping them for his own end. Yeah, so this is a pretty big threat. This um, this Leviathan seems pretty doggone powerful. How will they get away? Right, he's um, and it's almost like he's, in his mind, he's he's doing him a favor. I'm going to build you a home right here. You're going to live out the rest of your lives and all your ancestors' lives. Exactly. You're, you're going to love it. <laughs> you're going to get your own place, your own room. Come on, it's even furnished. Yeah, I don't think so. And eventually you'll become cavemen, just like these other guys. You'll love it. Exactly. You'll lose your technology and your identity as a race, and yeah. <laughs> Now, wasn't there, didn't we read something in the DC era or somewhere around there where this similar situation happened where they found a, a ship that had kind of been cobbled together and, and over all the generations they kind of de-evolved and nobody really knew how they were in a ship and things like that? Do you remember uh, that story? Yeah, that was a while ago. I kind of remember that one. Right, was it DC or was it? Even further back than that. I don't know. It was a ways ago. I remember that. I remember that being pretty far back. Right. And of oh, course, when you when you were first starting to describe it, it sounded a little bit like the pirate ship. It, you know, the, near that what that that dwarf star or that. Well, anyway, but it wasn't the same right. thing because yeah, they knew who they knew who they were, even though they were there for a long time. I I know the one you're talking about. That's way back. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember the details though. So, again, underscores, nothing new under heaven and earth. True. So how do you like the story, though, so I far? Don't. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it. 
No, I, I, I just, I don't know, just not all that interesting. I mean, the 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 vines and stuff that are wrapping around the ship, you you can't burn them away with no matter how much phaser fire you put on them, they just grow right back. Uh, well, just remember that part. Phaser well, fire could not get them loose. Well, yeah, and also remember the part that it's supposed to be metal. So they were being cocooned in metal. And then, and then I'm not sure what these, you know, what, what these things they're shooting with the ship's phasers are. I mean, the, you know, these, these tentacles. I don't know what they're made out of. Uh-huh. But, uh, at least in this issue. Now, in the next issue, you're going to find out what's, you know, you're going to get more, another view of what's holding Voyager to the ground as they start building up the habitat. Right. But it becomes wood. It looks like wood, but that's, yeah. that's a different issue. Oh, okay. Well, I'm a little confused myself, but... Yeah, well, I'm not a big fan of that part. I'm not a big fan of that the Jemadar is somehow here. That makes no sense. I know. So did they... So when they were hanging out in uh, the Delta Quadrant... Well, they're in the Delta Quadrant. Well, no, they're in the Gamma Quadrant. Jemadar are in the Gamma Quadrant. I completely yeah. agree with you. How, how did they get over? I mean, did, did uh, Leviathan start out over in the, in the Gamma Quadrant? And now he's over in the Delta Quadrant? I, I don't know. Well, and we'll learn later that uh, he, there, he may, like some other entity we know, uh, be well-traveled oh, yes, and exactly. see a lot of the galaxy. So, <clears throat> exactly. That's and a the, possibility, I And guess. he's been doing this for at least 2,000 years because yeah. he says that's how old the Vidian uh, ship is. Right. So it's possible he was in the Delta Quadrant Got the Vidians, went to the Gamma Quadrant, got the Jemadar. Maybe he's going, doing another circuit. Loop. And that's a very good point, too, because the Vid... Did, I don't remember them quoting a time period for how long the Jemadar were there, but 2,000 years is a pretty long time ago right. that the Vidians would have been there. So that's a good point. I mean, the Jemadar, have they been there even longer? I don't know. Hmm. And you, I, I, and you might need to remind me, but I always thought the Jemadar were a genetically created species. So did I, but this postulates they were they were an existing species that were genetically modified to be addicted to the white. Right, but I thought they were genetically created because they have such short lifespans. I mean, because they grow up in like a week. Yeah. From birth to good adulthood. And All good points. I always thought they were, you know... 100% artificial. Yeah. I mean, you know, artificially created species. Exactly. I agree. And this definitely postulates something else. Right. Because 2,000 years ago, or however many thousands of years ago, would predate the founders taking over the Gamma Quadrant, I would think. Right. That is a long period of time. Which, by the way, I think it's really interesting how some of these species have been around for so long. Spacefaring entities or societies. Which I suppose, well, maybe someday if we're able to build a warp drive, maybe we'll be around for a long time too. But, you know, I don't know. I think there's enough dead societies and things on planets that that Federation crews tend to uh, bump into. I don't know. It's kind of a long time for them to be uh, viable and cruising around the uh, galaxy. You're talking about the Leviathan. No, I'm talking about the Vidians. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, so yeah, so they were in a ship. That's what that's what you're saying. Well, yeah, two thousand yeah. years ago, they were obviously spacefaring people, right? Mm, 
Right, if they were. Because cause they were actually in a video and ship. They, that hallway they went between the that's Vidian. Right. Yeah, yeah, you're okay, okay. So they were right. actually in a Vidian ship. And that seems to be the way Leviathan gra- grabs all of its exhibits. Right, so, yeah, good point. Now, you would think if you, the Vidians are around for 2,000 years, they'd be kind of advanced, but... Yeah, the phage took them down a peg or two. I guess so. But what about the Jem'Hadar? So they were spacefaring, may well, or may not have made it all the way to the Delta Quadrant, and then they were able to be taken over by the Federation, uh, the, the Dominion. The founders, the Dominion. Yeah, uh, I guess. Yep. Boy, that's, that's step down. It's a step down, and apparently, unless they come from an even further place originally, there doesn't seem to be any evidence of free Jem'Hadar in this time period. Nope. So they seem to be all subjugated. So Right. Well, whatever. So, what's the deal with Paris' shirt? Man, he is ripped. He is ripped. So, <laughs> I mean, okay, first, let's say right out here, he ain't no Kirk. Sorry, he ain't he is no here. Kirk. Woo. He is not Kirk. No, sorry. <laughs> so, are they, did they do that to attract more of a female audience? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I thought they were doing it at first just to kind of play on Kirk always losing his shirt. <laughs> well, they, they definitely try. They definitely seem to be playing him up as the the big draw for the ladies. Right. He's very muscular in this one, M- much more so than I think the actor is. <laughs> yeah, what, Duncan McNeil or whatever his name is? Right. Yeah, he's, he's kind of an average guy. A- another thing, and I, I was kind of thinking of this actually more so in the previous issue, but I didn't bother mentioning it, but there seems to be an awful lot of female captains or female leaders. So we got Janeway, of course. Mm-hmm. So now we've got Commander Rand in the previous issue, of course. And then we've got Idana in this one. So we're pretty female leader heavy, which is fine. Wonderful. It's just between that observation and Paris's shirt being ripped off, pretty much. It's like, <laughs> are, are, they, are they really trying to bring the um, young females or old females into the uh, comic book uh, fandom here with, with this series or what? I hadn't thought about it, but... Maybe? Maybe? I don't know. Uh, anyway. Good point. Just wondering. So, personally, if I found myself at in the control center, like they did at, near the end of the issue, or at the end of the issue, I would have been pulling out phasers, setting them to max, and let the chips fall where they may. Yeah. That's just my... Uh, well, they had a dialogue with happy. an intelligent entity, so Federation requires that they open, they continue that dialogue and come up with a peaceful solution. Okay, well, the dialogue ended, as we'll find out, pretty quickly. So um, That's because somebody starts tinkering with stuff they're not supposed to. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, anyway. I, I get what you're saying. It's like, the ship's trapped. I mean, it looks pretty bleak. I mean, at the end of this issue, there didn't seem to be a lot of options, you know, other than blast away or set them on overload and throw them or something. 
So, I don't know. She seems awful calm. And maybe she's calm because she has a plan. I don't think she does. No. Well, she sure gets one of the next issue. Not to spoil things, but... So what would you think of the little uh, robot things? Okay, a couple of things. I thought they were cute. You know, they should have that at Six Flags. What a ride that would be, wouldn't it? And just Cause it looks like up in tentacles and swept away. And, you know, like, like flying. Wow. <laughs> Woo! They, they'd be kind of, I wouldn't mind having one of those. I'd go flying. So apparently they don't have transporter technology. That's all i got to say. Leviathan seems so advanced with propulsion and all this kind of stuff, but it doesn't seem to be able to have transporter technology. Wouldn't it be a lot quicker if it just beamed them? But whatever. Well, it has to get through the uh, energy field. That, that if it's, n- it's in control of the dampening field. It could turn, it off, turn that off quite easily. Or it's so advanced, it could transport right through it. But. Hmm. Yeah, but then you wouldn't have this, these tentacles. I know, I know. It is a lot more exciting. And you actually do see more of the ship. Well, the ship and, proper. And we do really need to see these air duct things. No, I'm but... I'm not saying why we have to, but... But, that, but that's apparently... In later. That's apparently part of the original structure, so... Right. And it so factors that... in later, so just remember those ducks. <laughs> right. So, uh, how'd you like Janeway's bold Obi-Wan Kenobi plan to go and turn off the magneton beam to free the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> uh, it, it does. It is a little reminiscent of that. Just a little bit. And another thing that kind of occurred to me is, it's supposed to be cocooned in metal. Metal! So if it's cocooned in metal, I mean, at the beginning, especially when it says it was cocooning in metal, I thought it was co- going to be completely enveloped in metal. Now right. it turns out, about halfway through the issue, you find out that's not the case. But I was thinking to myself, well, how, the, how are they going to get out of that? I mean, they're going to blast their way out of through metal when they're cocooned in? I mean, they could damage the ship. It's like, right. I just, I, I didn't see turning off a magneton beam as being uh, your only thing. I mean, you've got to get out of the metal first, and then you can worry about the magneton beam. But right. Whatever. Yeah, and I was really disappointed as far as, you know, you're talking about these metal tentacles, and later we learned that they're maybe plant-based. Yeah. But on the cover, those tentacles are like energy-type yes. rope. I don't yeah. know. It looks it look, awesome. It looks like an energy lasso. And it looks really cool. It looks like these these this energy just roped around the, the nacelles and stuff. It, it looked it looked awesome. We never get okay. that in the story. Okay. It looks cool. I'll agree it looks cool. But how stupid? Oh, that's not stupid. Shush. No, it's stupid. It, Shush. Oh, come on. You, you, the magneton beam, just, it's like a tractor beam. Just do that. Now, my, you know, okay, so this looks cool. I mean, you, you want the idea that Voyager is trapped and can't get away. And you're going to see that a lot more with these magical little green lasso energy things than you would with an invisible tractor beam. But I thought it was kind of lame, personally. It looked cool. It looked cool, but I just thought it was kind of kiddish. It's like something mm. you'd see in a gold key or something. I don't know. Ouch. Well, come on. It, look at it. I mean, it looks cool, but I don't know. I don't know. We saw Ferengi have those energy whips that oh. kind of look the same way. Well, did I ever say I like that? No, I did. (laughs) Because I do. (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. It's all good. Anyways, I like that visually better than... Yeah, visually it's cool. Better than a a rose vine wrapping around the ship. Yeah, a rose vine. (laughs) All right, and then uh, my last comment is... This is supposed to be beginning of season three, right? So, Balana and Paris are in their courting stage where they're... In this uh, issue, certainly. But there's this weird scene in this issue where she gets injured and she's kind of pulling off her shirt a little bit to to look at it and Paris is trying to help her and she's like, I just don't like... I'm just not used to being touched or something Mm -hmm. like that and just seemed like an odd thing to say. Well, it, in this issue, they make it seem like they don't have a relationship. So I, from this issue, I got the idea that Tom was beginning to make his moves, but it was nowhere near the point of actually a relationship. Agreed. They're in their Courting flirting phase. phase. Right. Exactly. But she's been hurt before. She's had yeah, physical and, examinations. For her to yeah. say, I just don't like to be touched <clears throat> while he's trying to cauterize her wound made no sense at all. Yeah, I agree. And plus, Tom has been a go-to guy for medical, which made no sense to me. He's the he's the pilot. He, he was a nurse for a while. Yeah, I know. Now that gave her gave him a, an excuse to be uh, near Cass, but I think that was kind of stupid. He's the pilot of the ship. Why don't you get somebody who's a janitor and have him, you know, have him become a doctor rather than a very important job function being also like a nurse, like a like a go-to doctor or something. I don't know. Right. thought that was so, odd. I guess they never did have a uh, doctor from the Maquis ship. Nobody ever got sick over there. Uh, well, yeah, but I, I don't think, yeah. I mean, the Maquis ship, it probably had a base of operations. I mean, it, that was on a planet someplace. I'm going right. to guess. I don't know. But I assume that Maquis ship was not hanging around um, for months at a time going on long-range missions, but I don't know. Right. Anyways, I love the Doctor, so... Yeah, the Doctor's all good. Alright, anything else on this one? No, I'm done. Alright. So, she doesn't like to be touched, just remember. That's that's just good news, good news to have. <laughs> okay. Oh, one thing I want to mention is uh, what color... Are Idana ships? Purple, of course. They're purple! What color was it at the end of issue 10? Uh, purple? No, it wasn't. It was kind of <laughs> like know. a silver white. <laughs> yeah, no, it, and that's what threw me too, because I thought that was the Leviathan, and then the beginning of this issue, they're fighting these little purple ships. Well, they're not that little. They look like they're at least, uh, they look bigger than Voyager. But they're not Leviathans. I agree, I agree, I agree. And they magically change color. Because they are really purple in this one. Right. Not so at the end of issue 10. And Idina or whatever, she's purple and she is very cartoony looking. Yeah, definitely alien. Now, I, I know that, that you weren't a big Saturday morning cartoon fan in the uh, 80s. and But I was. Well, yeah, because I was an adult by that point. Exactly, so. You're probably not going to catch this reference, but 
you know, during the heyday of Star Wars, there was two Star Wars animated TV series that ran for a while. One called Droids well, and one called Ewoks. The heyday I remember was in the 70s, but go ahead. <laughs> but there was no animated Star Wars at that time. No, there wasn't. And there probably shouldn't have been ever. I don't know about ever, but maybe well, Did you like two. those? Uh, no, but... <laughs> Clone Wars is good. But anyways... Well, no, wait, that's I'm different. <laughs> that's different. Clone Wars is different. So, uh, and a lot later. In in the droids one, there's a, a purple creature, you know, friend of the droids or whatever, and he looks like a male version of this woman. I mean, even down to the, the face facial structure and things oh, really? like that. Yeah. So I'm wondering if the artist was maybe taking a little inspiration from, from that gentleman... Yeah, inspiration, that's a good word. Or, co- or copying, what, however you want to word it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Which uh, Marvel, under their star imprint uh, in, the, in the 80s, also did a droids miniseries, or I guess it was, it was an ongoing, but it didn't last very long. Right. So, I mean, so Marvel already had drawn this guy before. Right. So it's, it's not like, it's, it's not like they're really, I don't know, just. Man, they look alike, a lot alike. I'll try to find a picture of this guy and send it to you. Okay. He looks just like her. Okay. All right. But anyways. On to number 12? Lots of purple. Lots of purple. They do like purple. Yes. So this is uh, came out December of 97. It is entitled Leviathan Part 2. Very creative. I know, right? And all the... Uh, Matt Webb, was he the colorist before? Um, I think he was, but let me look, colorist was. No, uh, Glynis Oliver was the colorist in the previous issue. All right. All right, so all the writing staff is the same, with the exception of colorist Matt Webb. And Chip Carter is now referred to as Starfleet Observer. <laughs> His title changes every issue. So. So, so Chip Carter is the guy from Paramount? Is it? I'm guessing. I don't know. Cause what, because he never has... He was a, just another editor. Well, they, got, got, they have two already. They got Tim Toohey as the editor, and then editor-in-chief Bob Haras. Do you really need a third editor? And, and I think maybe he was kind of sort of an editor, but I don't, I don't know why I have this impression, but I have the impression since his, his title constantly changes, since there probably is no good name for it traditionally in comics, I think he's somebody from Paramount or something. Yeah, I don't know. I could be totally wrong. Well, I mean, he he's not in the first couple of issues, so... Yeah, but he's on it pretty quickly after that. Right. I don't know. That, that'll be uh, something that I'll have to look up. So I'm going to look up that, and I'm going to look up if the Jem'Hadar are genetically created or genetically modified species. There you go. That's you my homework. You, for you got your homework assignment. All right. So the cover of this issue shows Voyager flying off of what might be a planet with an explosion of some sort behind it. The story starts off with Janeway, Taurus, a shirtless peristyl, and Harry in the command center of the Leviathan. The AI tells them that the human enclosure is not yet complete. Kim tries to scan a control panel and is shocked for his efforts. Uh, robot drones then appear and whisk the crew members back to the enclosure that Voyager's being kept in. 
And once they're there, it looks like a huge field of grass with vines and branches wrapping themselves around the ship's hull. Once back on the ship, Janeway orders the crew to prep a probe with remote controls and to equip it with a neutralizer that the doctor is concocting that will disrupt the Leviathan's brainwaves. She then orders the crew to start hacking away at the vines and informs Adina to do the same thing to her ship. Because they're going to escape. Much later, after a montage that just shows how hard everyone's working, the tasks are all complete. Paris launches the probe and he flies it through those tunnels that we saw last issue at incredible speeds. I think at one point they say they're flying it at 175 kilometers per hour. He's able to get it back to the control room without crashing, proving once and for all that he is the master video game player on the ship. Once it lands into the control room, it releases the doctor's neuralizer and the Leviathan starts to kind of fall apart. Janeway and Idina get their ships away, but Janeway starts to feel bad for the rest of the lives aboard Leviathan, mainly the Jem'Hadar and the Vidians and all the other races that might be aboard. They're all going to die unless the Leviathan is reawakened. She orders Taurus and a man named Carrie to beam over and restart the computer. Once they do so, the AI appears and sees that it is the humans that have done this to him. He lets them return to their ship, stating that they are a most undesirable species for his collection. Later, the Leviathan departs away from Voyager and the other alien craft. Torres plays a recording she took from the computer when she was restarting it. It shows images of V'ger and Matt Decker. Janeway speculates the possibility that Leviathan could somehow be related to V'ger. Later... Captain Adina of the Esalon fleet contacts Janeway and thanks her for the rescue. She also invites her aboard the ship as a battle sister. Janeway accepts. Next up, Cloud Walkers. Battle sister! <laughs> Sounds like a TV show. Battle sisters! I just kept thinking of, you know, what? one... I don't know, Amazons and stuff like that. With, <laughs> exactly. Or Xena or something like that. Yeah. Xena, Wonder Woman, you know, something. Right. Cool. Battle Sisters. Well, so that was a little unexpected twist towards the end, eh? Was it? Well, supposedly oh, Leviathan oh, is thing? some cousin of V'ger yeah. or something, common origin, and they... They whip up Will Decker and Elia for no good reason. Elia slash uh, V'ger. Yeah, that was that was ridiculous. Well, uh, there you go. Unless they're going to go somewhere with it. Exactly, and and do something more than just have a few panels that talks about the conjecture of that. Right, and then I like how she even's like, "Well, this is something that'll keep us talking for a couple of weeks. Join us next month for issue number thirteen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's just odd that we were talking about V'ger last week with uh, Starfleet Academy. Right. With that, you know, that Decker. Right. I called him Matt Decker, but that's William Decker, right? That's Will Decker. Right. Matt Decker. And you did refer it correctly last week when we were talking about the right. Academy. Matt Decker as in Doomsday Machine. Matt Decker. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I messed that up. Oops. The wrong name fell out. 
whatever. Anyways, but it was funny that we were talking about it last week that it would be nice to have, you know, a Starfleet Academy V'ger somehow crossover with nah. the, the Deckers. <laughs> but then come to find out we're actually getting a quasi crossover with Voyager and William Decker, kind of. Quite unexpected. Quite unexpected. Right. This is creativity on the part of these writers. Right. And unnecessary. I mean, did we really need to know that? No, unless it comes back later. Unless, unless that really was V'ger somehow. But that's not well, V'ger's M.O. Yeah, so okay. So either this thing is V'ger and it went back in time or they come from the same origin, which is, which is more of a, a likely scenario. Because, of course, this thing's been trolling around at least 2,000 years. That's true. So... So let's say they did come from the same origin, the same planet of machines or whatever. Okay, so do they write each other? You know, <laughs> hey, just went to Earth, just absorbed some people, wish you were here. Is that what V'ger was doing back yeah, to, said, to Leviathan and everybody? Dear Leviathan, I met my maker. Here he is with, <laughs> with a robotic construct of myself. Well, I wish you were here. Exactly, I guess that... I guess that would be something worth writing home about. <laughs> to the planet of the machines. Anyway. Right. Maybe they got their own internet, their own Facebook. I just wonder how that information would get into the databanks of Leviathan. Yeah, yeah it doesn't make sense. I mean, it, it would make sense that it took V'ger that long to get out this far. you know. Right. But, uh, but you're right. This thing's been going out there a lot longer than we launched, what was it, Voyager 6 or something like that? Yes, exactly. So they must have some kind of communications network. That's the only thing that makes any sense. But I do like when Janeway gives the old Pike speech about you humans are boring captivity, and they'll fight against it. I, I like that. It, this is towards the beginning of the comic issue. And then uh, I like—I kind of like how Leviathan says back that uh, <laughs> that it appreciates her bravado, but I'm unimpressed by it. Sorry. It's like. Yeah. It's like, not impressed, even with Tom Paris bearing his naked, manly chest? Oh. Come on, Leviathan. Anyway. I thought that was kind of... I, I kind of liked uh, Leviathan's reaction. He was a little sassy. Sassy? And then the idea of completely denying the lesser life forms their freedom with absolutely no problem. It's like, ah, uh, no, you're not going to go anywhere. Uh, you're part of my collection. Get used to it. It's like, oh, well, yeah, it's not very nice of you. Right. He's not yeah. a nice guy. No. And, you know, I wouldn't, quite frankly, I wouldn't have been so quick to, uh, I mean, if it wasn't for all those other life forms in the habitats, I wouldn't have been so quick to resuscitate Leviathan. Right. Because what's he going to do? He's going to go out and keep doing this to other people. Well, exactly. Exactly. And not to mention the possibility of it just shooting out those magneton beams and roping them back in again. So right. you want to take that chance? I don't know. Yes, but fortunately for us, humans are a unworthy species. Yeah, and then he turns tail and runs. It's like, really? Okay. I mean, that would insinuate some level of fear when it's obvious that this thing is smart and could really assess its situation, which is basically that nothing's changed. 
Um, yes, Voyager has a way of of maybe shooting another probe, but I'm sure it could have countermeasures. Well, whatever. I'm thinking too much. Maybe a little bit. So it's just really handy that apparently we scared him and Leviathan turned tail and, and headed out of the galaxy. Right. And what I kept thinking was he keep if Leviathan's thing was to keep all the species separate, you know, because he's like, oh, you're in the wrong enclosure. This is not for humans. Right. Well, one of the people you're whisking away ain't human. So why why do you keep calling her human when she's, you know, Klingon? Or at least exactly. half Klingon. Right. And there's Bolians and, you know, other species on Voyager. Are you going to separate them all out to their own enclosure? Or do they all get to be grouped together? Well, it looks like the they're going to be grouped world. together and they're you and one. Well, because That's it's the way convenient. it appeared. Right. Right. So, yep. yeah, so even his arguments weren't, weren't all that logical to me because he kept calling them the humans when it's supposed to be all, all races in the Alpha Quadrant. Right. Right. We know there's a Beta Z. You know, Neelix and Kess aren't human. Right. They're, they're actually from the Delta Quadrant. Mm-hmm. It's a few Vulcans. Yep. Quite a melange of people. Anyways. So, um, neural neutralizer, huh? Yeah, and the doctor's smart. The doctor is smart. But, you know, it, it helps when you can use other people's work. So, of course, the neural neutralizer from the episode, Taz episode, Dagger of the Mind. Oh, is that what it was from? Yes. So, Dr. Adams used a neural neutralizer. First on his assistant, and then later used it on Kirk. Ooh, that's not good. Yes. So, I knew it was somewhere in the Star Trek universe the neural neutralizer was used by the bad guys. So, I just did a quick little search. I did not, really, I did not remember that. <laughs> I, had <to> do a, <laughs> I had to do a little research. Anyway. So, his assistant, Dr. Simon Van Gelder, was uh, overexposed to it. Anyway, so that's where they got it from. And I think it might have popped up in a few other spots, but... Huh. Now, you're... Uh... Your, your 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 memory is a lot better than mine. I would have never caught that. Well, all I remembered is the neural neutralizer had been used before. After that, I had to do a search. Anyway, and matter of fact, when I was doing searches, I zoomed in on the Taz reference, but it popped up with something from Into Darkness also. And it's like, did Into Darkness have a reference to a neural neutralizer? I don't think so. Maybe it just popped up because that's so popular-ish now. I don't know. I, I stopped my research after that. Huh. I don't remember that being I don't in, remember that either. In, into darkness, but who knows. They do tend to slip things in, don't they? They do. They just... from, from existing uh, canon. Right. So I like how Leviathan was heading, uh, was at warp 9 and accelerating. So uh, what's going to happen? Is Leviathan going to be turned into a big salamander eventually, or what? Ah, <laughs> No, because it's it knows how to it's advanced. protect itself. That's part of what makes it advanced. Hmm. <laughs> so at the end when Adana calls Janeway a battle sister and stuff, and they come over for the party, or they're going to come over for the party. Yeah, they're coming. Uh, Adana looks kind of like a vampire. I mean, she's got a big she got a big old grin on her face, and she's right. got this like toothy sharp smile, and it's yeah. like. I'm not so sure I'd be going over there, quite frankly. Uh, <laughs> I would be asking, uh, so who all can come with me? Like, can I take everybody? 
A security detail? Yeah, because uh, you guys are scaring me. <laughs> she looks like a vampire. I mean, between the uh, the different colored skin and and the and that those like, teeth, those teeth. I don't know. And that smile, that smile. Yikes! Exactly. No, I thought the same thing. <laughs> we didn't really talk about the recap page, but this issue is really bad because it has it's wasted it wastes two pages recapping the exact same thing. So we have the previously right. in Star Trek Voyager, and it talks about last issue, and then the well, next it, page not only last issue but the issue before too, which they really don't need to do. Which I'm okay with it, but then but. Don't but do why? it again when the actual story starts. I mean, last issue was worse than this issue. This this issue was just kind of in Janeway's captain's log. But last issue, the first several panels of the book were the last several panels of the last book, which were also the some of the panels that were in the previously on page. Exactly. So it's just like, oh my goodness. I had to read it three times. The exact same dialogue, yeah. the exact same everything. Yeah, so unless they're going to bring the whole thing about... Uh, the survive well three five nine survivors back in the future. There's no reason they have to bring it back again. I mean, the Leviathan story does not have. I mean, except for the point that Idana came because of the the, the Wolf three five nine space battle. The Leviathan story doesn't have any references to the Wolf three five nine Echo storyline. Not right. at all. So I agree. It's repeating too much, and for no good reason. Agreed. Yeah. We're in violent agreement. Violent. I'm going to start throwing stuff. So violent. <laughs> well, you go right ahead since you're in a different state. <laughs> yeah, so it just, uh, that annoys me. Yeah. I don't mind the recap, but come on. Well, I think the recaps are just a waste of time, but especially when you start going back several issues, old. And then as you say, <laughs> recaps yet again in the same issue. With the captain's luck, well, whatever. So we've talked about it last issue, definitely. The metal vines, the energy yes. tendrils or whatever yep. are now wooden weeds that you can just go hack out with, a, with right. an axe and a hole. Yeah. And by the way, why are you using metal instruments when you've got phaser rifles? Right. Just break <laughs> out every phaser rifle you've got. You got them. You know, charge them back up later. Take them out with phaser rifles. That should go much faster. Although I will say that in some of the drawings that show them hacking away, it looks like they've got some kind of hovering robots or something. Yeah, with, no, they do. With phasers attached on their front. What's that right. about? Yeah, I don't know. They look like drills or something. Uh, yeah, but it, yeah, and, and in Starfleet, you don't see robots like that very much. No. Like, almost ever. I mean, because I thought that was something that Roddenberry doesn't want a lot of robots around. Oh, really? Why? Well, because he wants people to do things. More people do things. Like, like you, could have, you could have so many things automated on the ship. You could have so many more opportunities for a robot doing the drudgery tasks, like they do in Star Wars and other kinds of things. Like the sewer maintenance and stuff. He wanted a do down there. The, the sewer Great. maintenance, the little... Droids that just run around the the ship floor doing something. I don't know what. Oh, the little mouse droids. Yeah, whatever they call them. Those are cute. Uh, they are cute. I don't know what they can do, but they're cute. But you know, they they normally don't have anything like that in Star Trek. And I thought that was part of 
you know, Roddenberry's edict, his vision, whatever. Mm. Not they don't want to be over reliant on uh, on robots and technology. But of course, he came up with with data. But whatever. That was later, though. Yeah, speaking of little mouse droids, you did see the J.J. Abrams charity thing with the uh, X-Wing fighter. The X-Wing fighter. Yeah, I saw that. That Kind of a a reimagined X-Wing fighter. Right, which really isn't all that much different. It's different, but not all that much different. It's lost two engines. Right. Yeah, but you look at the front of it and 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 the laser cannons or whatever they call them. I mean, that looks pretty much the same. So the back of it's quite different. Right. But really, the front of it looks pretty similar. Um, so I guess they're, I guess the same kind of thing that they did with uh, the Enterprise in the reboot movies. Obviously, they took a lot of inspiration from the original, but then they made it sleeker and, and, right. and more modern looking. Well, I mean, it is supposed to be 30 years later, so you would think that the X-Wings would, would get some upgrades. Yeah, it's but... not like that was the same X-Wing that Luke supposedly took down the Death Star with. It's like, this is just the newest model. 30 years later. Okay, and that's fine. But another thing just to mention, there's another example where the technology's been around for a long time. Long time. And you actually go back, and uh, when they start doing the prequels, Mm -hmm. you start seeing some pretty advanced tech uh, that was used a long time ago. And then supposedly the the Republic stood for how long? How many thousand years or something? A good long time. A good long time. So here's a bunch of technology around for a long time. Yet, it, you know, their capabilities don't seem to change all that much through the prequels and the original movies. Right. Because once, I mean, once you have it, you have it. It's not like you can't, you can't perfect it because it's already perfected. You can just <laughs> tweak it a little bit. Okay. Okay, whatever. Well, because because this is this is kind of what I've always complained about JJ kind of doing a Star Trek. Yeah. And, and and Star Wars, once you go to hyperspace, everybody travels in hyperspace the same speed because you're uh-huh. truly going to another dimension and then popping out at a, at back into the real dimension later. Right. And so, you know, you you basically the, the only advancement is that computers are getting better that they can calculate safer routes or you know shorter routes that are that can get, still get you there safer and things sure. like that sure which is not the same as warp because warp you're still in the real universe you just have a little bubble that allows you to you know skip over the the light light waves or whatever to make you right. go faster skip and over you, the light waves <laughs> you could potentially go faster than you know one one ship can go at warp 1 and one ship can go warp 2 you have different speeds Yes, which is mm-hmm. completely different than Star Trek or Star Wars, which is, you know, since the dawn of the invention of the warp drive, everybody goes the same speed once they're in that dimension. The hyperdrive. Yeah. So the hyperdrive just gets you there, and then your navy computer gets you out. So depending on those two, you know, and the the navy computer is the one that could advance and have safer routes sure. so that you sure. don't show up in a star or okay. whatever Han Solo says there in A New Hope. Right. That's the big difference between Star Trek and Star Wars, which J.J. is kind of merging into one. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Anyway, I thought the X-Wing fighter was pretty cool looking. Yeah, and then I also saw like a giant pig or something that they're actually building a a real giant pig instead of having it CG'd. And it's like a giant pig. It's like a giant animatronic pig type creature that they're. That's okay, so this be is an alien thing. thing. Yeah. So not slug Jabba, 
the nope. hut. This is somebody else. It doesn't look like a somebody. It looks like a so something. it's more like, like, Henry, like Henry, Henry the pig. pig. It looks like like a bantha type thing, like something Jabba that somebody the pig. would ride. It looks oh, like okay. somebody would ride, but like it was, a bantha. But it was it was a real thing there, as opposed to uh, you know just somebody riding on a on a blue tobble horse type thing that they're going to CG the monster in later. Yeah, or riding on like an elephant with a big, <laughs> with, big. With, with, with a big uh, fur coat over it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that looked awesome. <laughs> it did look good. Anyway. Okay, cool. Uh, but back to this comic. I don't have anything else to say about this comic. Uh, no, I- I'm done too. My last thing was about breaking out the phasers to burn those weeds away. Yeah, I didn't like that. From the ship. Yeah. And then the montage. Come on. The, the montage was so silly. Yeah. Everybody's just working away, and the doctor's working away, and Bolana's working away, and then then the video game sequence, which I thought was really stupid. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Anyways. Okay. All right. Well, next week, we start up the Telepathy Wars. Ooh. Starfleet Academy number 12 and Deep Space Nine number 12 and 13. So it's okay. the first three parts of the Telepathy War. Okay, sounds good. Anything else? Nope. All right, and well then we'll let everybody go and be back next week. Excellent. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at review at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.